0: This is Isaac Arthur of Codo Design, and you're listening to the Beer Mighty Things podcast.
1: It's playing the long game, and you got to be ready for it, and you got to really want it. And you, you also got to stick to what you want to see and what you want to make. Don't follow trends.
0: Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner, and today I am very excited. This is our first filmmaker, let alone an Academy Award-nominated filmmaker. He's just released the trailer for a film entitled Bottled Condition. You can uh, check that out online, so Bottled Conditioned. His name is Jerry Frank. Jerry, what is going on? Hey, man. Nice to meet you. Great to nice be to, on here. Nice to meet you. This is exciting. Um You know, we talk beer a lot. We talk people who make it. And um, I've talked with authors. So this is kind of nice to kind of round out that gamut of folks who now are making films about our our favorite beverages. So very cool. I appreciate you coming on here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this. And uh, yeah. Very cool. So you're in the US. You're in California. But were you born in Luxembourg or where are you from? Yeah, I'm originally from Luxembourg. Uh, I moved to uh, Los
1: Angeles about 15 years ago to uh, pursue film. Um, currently, I live in the San Diego area, yeah. so I moved just a little south of LA. Um, had to get out of that
0: crazy city during the pandemic, so, okay. <laughs> so I'm here now. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you suffered through the traffic for a little bit, and then the pandemic was just enough to make you move. Yeah, yeah, it okay. was just too much. It's, it's just much more <laughs> chill down here. I've been to uh,
1: La Jolla and Escondido. Probably... Yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in Encinitas, so uh, that's okay. uh, kind of in between those two places. Uh, it's also a coastal town. It's it's like I said, very relaxed and uh, just just it's great to be creative in an environment like that. I think okay. L.A. is sometimes like very uncreative because it's all about like competition with each other. Like it's such an intense environment and and i think like sometimes that is kind of like the death of creativity because you're yep. just not
0: focusing on your work anymore yeah there's too many distractions there's a lot going on yeah exactly a lot of things fighting yeah. for your energy so do you when you sit down to write or think about what you're going to film do you, are you going to the beach are you sitting outside or, or where do you do that
1: no, I mean, so it's kind of interesting because I'm mainly a producer. So this project I was the director on uh, because it was kind of a pr- passion project. Although as a producer, I am oftentimes uh, creatively involved in the early stages of the makings of the film. Yeah. Um, But really where I come in mostly is during the pre-production and getting everything set up to start the filming and then post-production and releasing the film. So... I I think um for me whenever I start on a movie it's it's about like what personal connection or interest do I have in the topic or the story. Mm-hmm. And and then it's just about like exploring it. And um yeah, I don't have like a necessarily like a spot where I like, you know, yeah. become more creative. It's just about like jiving with the collaborators on the projects and uh, bouncing ideas back and forth.
0: And that fits in so great with, again, you know, working with breweries and things like that because they're passionate. They a lot of times leave their jobs to go do what they're passionate about. So, you know, cheers to you for following what you truly enjoy. Um, so so 2008, you're at what, Columbia College, Hollywood, and you start kind of what you start off as a camera operator. Is that kind of how you start? Yeah. So I started as a camera operator when I moved to the States
1: because for me, it was like the most... Um, direct way to be creatively involved in filmmaking without like having, you know, you, you can't become a director and a producer like that. Without work,
0: having doing those yeah, jobs.
1: Exactly. You have to work up your way. And so uh you know other people go different ways. I went the camera way. I did mm-hmm. camera operating and steady cam operating for 10 years. I was in the union. Um and uh yeah it's just like but you know at the end of the day I always wanted to produce and be kind of my own boss, so to say. Absolutely. Um, and and choose the projects that I work on. So yeah, it was, uh, it was time when, you know, after, after 10 years, I, I, I just did the jump and um, started doing producing full time. I, I had always produced on the side, uh, yeah. but like it never like allowed me to make any money or a living basically.
0: Do you remember like a specific time when you were like Shit! I gotta get out of here and do this on my own, or or create my. Was there like one of those moments? Um, you know,
1: I I think like when you start getting into the industry and you get really wrapped up into like climbing the ladder and like getting as many credits on the belt as possible, you definitely lose track of like your end goals, and mm. and a lot of people get stuck. And so I felt like I was getting in that air in that phase as well, and then. I'd met my, um, who's now my life partner and creative partner, mm-hmm. um, uh, Courtney Marsh. She hired me on a, um, on a movie as a Steadicam operator. And so we got to talking and we, we, we felt like we had the same goals and it kind of reinvigorated this like drive in me that and it reminded me that I wanted to be a producer. And so, yeah, she needed a producer on her short films at the time. And so we started collaborating. And um,
0: yeah, that's 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 how I kind of like got sucked back into like what I really wanted to do. That's really neat. And so when you are, you know, going backwards a little bit, when you are looking through the camera, being a camera operator, Steadicam, are you kind of looking through that lens and going, all right, here's, I'm seeing how it's being done. But you're also like thinking, all right, here's maybe how I would do it. Or, you know, this is interesting, or I'm learning or, you know, I don't know, I feel like seeing yeah. through that lens is like a certain thing
1: yeah yeah and and oftentimes it's not so so much about like if I would do it differently but it's not, it's maybe like the content that you're shooting is not that interesting okay <laughs> because okay. at the end of the day it 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 becomes like you you know you, you can't it becomes a job and like yep. you you you're doing it at the end of the day also to get a paycheck and to make a living, and so you can't really like choose the projects and the content you work on so like Oftentimes it's like, you know, you're just there executing. And so when I thought about camera operating, when I was in film school, I was like, oh, it's this great creative environment. I I get to like be creatively involved and that's fine. That does happen. But most of the time it's just like you're there to execute and that's it. And so like, yeah, you kind of become numb and, um, yeah, that, that, board, that's that's when board. you know you have
0: to yeah. get out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you met a you know ton of made a, a lot of great relationships, and obviously you know met your life partner there. And you know, how does that work as far as separating work from you know home life? Is you figure out a way to do that? Yeah,
1: it's it's tough. I think that's the one of the toughest um, uh, things when you, and, and that's also something that we touch upon in bottle condition. in one of the storylines is where um, one of the characters works with his girlfriend. Um, and so it, it, it's, uh, it's turbulent. I mean, it's, uh, there's no boundaries. Everybody always says yeah. like, you got to keep a healthy boundary, but it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty much impossible because it's yeah. like, sometimes it's, you know, at 11 o'clock at night when you're in bed, you like still talk about work. And then the first thing at 6am when you wake up, you talk about it yeah it's just because like you become so autopilot of like oh there's this person here with me who's going through it with me 24 7 so i can just share all the time and that's where it, like you know where boundaries get crossed and you sometimes you know makes too much work into your personal life and uh yeah so it's 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 tough but it's uh you got to find the balance
0: yeah I guess, you know, there's also a positive. It's like, hey, you have an idea. You can bounce it off the person next to you right away. Immediately. Yeah. That that's that's the thing that like
1: oftentimes you fall into of like, oh, I can just share anything with them. And it's like, oh, but would you really if it was like a professional, you know, relationship where like it was not your life partner and that's when you start questioning, yeah, maybe I should chill for a second.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it seems like Obviously, you're creative. You enjoy those who are being creative because uh, one of your first films, um, 2015, right? Is it Chow Beyond the Lines? Is that how you say it, Chow? So that was, you know, about was a 16 year old disabled person who had the effects of Agent Orange and then is looking to become an artist or clothing designer. And like, how does that story come about? Obviously, like it seems like you love that, you know. We have an idea. Let's take it. Let's build on it. Let's let's follow the dream. You know. So talk to me yeah. a little bit about that. That put you on the yeah, map. Yeah. That
1: that that was an interesting project, and that was um, so that was a role reversal. So there, I was a producer on that project, and Courtney yeah. Yeah. Uh, was a uh, was the director. And here with Balak Conditions, it's the opposite. Um, but yeah, she started that project uh, in two thousand and eight when she was oh, wow. still in film school. And then it got kind of like um, lost a bit. Uh, she got distracted with other things. Um, LA, LA, then, traffic. Yeah, LA traffic. Yeah. <laughs> amongst other things. <laughs> um, but it was also like documentaries are sometimes hard because like you do, you go into it and you, you, you don't necessarily like that. That movie was a happy accident because she went to Vietnam with a completely different idea on what to make a movie about. Mm. And then by accident discovered this camp for children affected by Agent Orange right. and so it's like you, you start on something that you didn't initially like set out to do and so you didn't think about it long term and then so you hit these roadblocks mm. and then when I when I started working with her uh, after 2011-2012 we kind of like re- resurrected that project and finished it and, and then uh, yeah it, it had quite a lot of success but um yeah, it's um it's another one of those it's a really inspiring film in the sense that it's like overcoming, you know, adversities and um, you know, just following your dreams. So th- there's always parallels in our yeah. world because we're out here, you know, we're not millionaires, we're like just making a getting by, making movies. Yeah.
0: Especially so, living out there. I mean, everything's a lot more oh, costly yeah. than it's like it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It
1: makes you want to leave but then you but then you're like well but it's then you walk outside and you're like
0: oh but it's so beautiful <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah anytime you're sad just go outside you'll be all right yeah exactly. nice so i guess you know what i'm hearing you say there is go into something with an open mind right you might have you know an agenda but go into it with an open mind and you might find something that you never even thought about that could be yeah. you know way better than what you ever expected
1: yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of also like how a bottle condition started, because I and I wanted to make a movie about beer. And then I was like, OK, well, beer is so vast. Then mm-hmm. I pared it down to Belgian beer because I mm-hmm. felt like a lot of brewers in the U.S. are inspired by Belgian styles and mm-hmm. that whole brewing culture. And then it, even that is super vast. And so then I landed on Lambic, and I initially wanted to make a movie about Lambic during the different seasons because it's the brewing season, there's the blending season. Um, and so it's kind of like wine production a bit because yep. not the same thing happens every day. And, and then, you know, when you start making that movie, you realize, well, no one's going to watch that. It's mm. going to be too technical. Like, it's, that's just going to be a geek film that, you know, will reach maybe 10 people. So then you start going into like, what's the actual story that I'm trying to tell? And then it becomes what it ended up becoming, um, which is a very narrative driven film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, like you said, like you you start with one thing and it becomes something completely different.
0: So talking about bottled conditioned, do you, how do you start this? Do you hop on a plane and just go start talking to people or do you do your research beforehand and then, you know, you're scheduling these things or, or again, was it fly over there, open mind, see what happens. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So once I, once I kind of like decided like what it was going to be about and when I landed on Lambic, so to say, Mm -hmm. as the topic, um, I, I went over there with, uh, Mario, my cinematographer, and uh, Courtney, my producer, to just like go and be tourists, and that okay. was in that was in the spring of 2018. And then I went back by myself without any cameras um, mm. in September that year to just meet the people in on a one on one one on one, and basically just kind of like explain to them, hey, I'm thinking about starting filming, you know, this movie, and I want you know, want to do interviews with you guys and film your process. And then afterwards, you know, you put some money together (laughs) that, that basically was all of our own money. Um, And then uh, basically just, you just book a ticket and uh, we started filming for a month in January of 2019. But again, it's like, I, I didn't have like a clear vision yet of like, what i mean it's so different from what i started to what it
0: became yeah what did you originally feel like it was going to be you know And, and like also when you went over there without the cameras did you feel as though you got a sense i don't i guess my question is when you bring cameras over are people acting a certain way and then when you remove the cameras are they another way
1: yeah that's always hard i mean that's 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 always like that um growing face between uh you and your subjects because in the beginning everybody is always a bit rigid
0: Uh um, well, you're gonna build like
1: that and, trust right yeah you you gotta build the trust and that's why i first sat down one-on-one with like a lot of the brewers and even people that are not featured in the end in the movie okay um just to like just to like feel them out get a sense of like what they're about and see what the stories are that i could tell um But yeah, then you start filming and some people are more natural in front of the camera and others are not. Uh, It's also Belgium. So like people are much more like reclusive and like, Mm. they're not like in America, I feel like everybody's a performer. Okay. (laughs) We're like, we're like (laughs) natural, we're like natural performers, but in Europe, everybody's very reserved. Like, Mm. and it's like, oh, why do you want to know this? Why do you need to film this? Whereas in America, they'd be like, sure. Yeah. Let me show you,
0: you know, we're much more like open like that um and but is uh, it because americans want more attention <laughs> probably but right? also a, we're such we a media-driven, yeah. dopamine drip right of how many likes can we get and whatever
1: you know a- a- exactly it's it's much more um a thing here than in europe and okay. and we're just so media um yeah i mean probably. everything here is con- consumer based okay it's, it's uh um and it's there's a good and a bad you know yeah. to that uh, obviously uh but uh, yeah so y- you you start filming with them and and the biggest lesson that i learned was i should probably not shoot in the next movie i should not shoot like some of the interviews up front because it, it, you will want to like, you want to like build more before you like ask the tough questions. Spend some time together,
0: get to yeah. know, you know, the real questions to ask versus like a slate of, you know, questions or whatever. You'll get the more natural result after you spend time with them, right? Exactly. And so
1: I had to redo a few interviews later down the line, because again, like I maybe like shot that shot too early and was like, asking the more like basic questions, like you were saying. yeah, and um, You didn't have a relationship yeah, that,
0: yet or that trust.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and uh, yeah, at first, there was definitely resistance from some people. Like um, there were some people that were like, well, how long is this interview going to take? And I was like, mm. well, I'm not going to lie. It's probably going to be an hour and a half, two hours. Oh. And they were like, what? What are you crazy? Like, <laughs> I don't have time for that. I can give <laughs> you 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, in 10 minutes, I'm not going to get anything. <laughs> so, right. So it's like you got to convince them and prove that you're not just some random guy who's going to shoot a YouTube video and
0: then yeah. disappear, you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah. Well, these, are all, these are all tips for me as a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It's like... Same deal. It's, it's definitely
1: like, I feel like some people will say, oh, you just shoot from day one and, you know, you get natural stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that, like, at first you want to maybe, like, be there without the cameras or microphones. And and then, like, they open yeah. up more building that trust. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Absolutely. All right. So you settled on Lambix. Were you, I'm assuming now, you know, going into it, you knew about Lambix. You may have had some. Were you a fanatic or now are you much more into them now that you know the history and the passion behind them?
1: So I was I was just getting into lambics at that time, yeah. um, and I did I did know quite a bit already from just reading online. Mm-hmm. And there's this great website called Lambic.info. It's like an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I read a lot on there, um, talked to a lot of people here about it, and and I, I also believe that that was maybe also like a bit of. Um, um, like an obstacle for me personally in the beginning because I felt like I already knew a lot about it. Okay. So sometimes I didn't ask in the initial, in the first interviews I did, I didn't ask the basic questions because mm. then I already like subconsciously knew the knew the answers. Yeah. And so it's like, that's another thing is like, you, you like, I, I felt like I was already like a, if, if I didn't know anything about this, maybe I would have asked different questions and maybe the movie would have gotten a different direction. Um, but yeah, I, I did. I didn't know a bit about it, uh, but I didn't know all the personal stories. And that's what the movie became. It became a movie about personal stories in a specific time frame, uh, which was the time that I was filming and what was happening in the world of lambing at that time. And so it became a very personal film rather than just a beer film.
0: Okay. So you go over there you start to build relationships with these folks and and what I've gained from your the trailer which is phenomenal um and everybody can see that at bottleconditionedfilm.com but these brewers made this beer out of passion with love and sweat and they you know they almost gave up right i mean they they didn't think this was a thing they didn't think people cared nearly as much as they did was that the most eye-opening part of this journey for you or what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i, I think like um when i started filming the boom was already like pretty uh, high like I, I think it it started uh like around 2010 is when the revival started really coming took back off. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah that's when it so i think we're like now at a peak um even when i was filming three four years ago it was already reaching a peak Um, of demand and obviously like that's great for them because yeah like you said uh you know the most of these most of these breweries went extinct and the ones that did survive um were struggling very heavily and they just made it just barely made it because of like the refound you know um interest in lambic from foreigners They were Russians saying they like, didn't care about it.
0: They can't believe people are paying extra for it now, right? They were like, we couldn't give it away a long time ago. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. It's like,
1: uh, and, and and then now another thing opened up is like the secondary market where people like resell these bottles for much more. So they sometimes you can buy like rare releases or rare bottles yeah. um, at the brewery for like, I don't know, $25 or 25 you know $15 a bottle yeah and sometimes people resell them for like hundreds of dollars online on the secondary market so that all of a sudden now you know they went from no demand to like now the beer is kind of like ticket scalping yeah they can't keep up um, yeah yeah so um but i i think like they're all really excited about that now and new lambic brewers have emerged since you know so uh yeah it's great
0: how many breweries did you
1: visit um, I visited probably like, so when I was, st- when I started filming, I think there were about a dozen in existence, breweries okay. and blenderies uh, cause some people don't brew their own beer. They get the beer from others and then they and blend. Then blend it. Okay. Um, so I think I visited almost all of them. Um, and then now I think there's like at least I, I want to say there's almost like 10 new blenderies that opened up since. So now oh, wow. we're like close to like 20. So I, I, I think I visited about 10 or so. And um, after a while also, like you realize like there's a common story. So you can't like put everybody in the movie because it's like, you're just going to regurgitate the same, same story. Too. Yeah. So I focused on on the three people that in my opinion had the most uh, demand and the most, um, like, they, they had all, like, different aspects of, like, the resurgence. And so, uh, yeah, I um, I focused on, like, three specifically, but have, like, a few others that chime in. Okay.
0: Can you tell us who those three were that you focused on?
1: Yeah, so I focused on uh, Cantillon, which is in Brussels, the last Lemic Brewery in Brussels, and, uh, and then Three which is south of Brussels, and then uh, this new blender who came about in, like, 2015. 2016 okay. called Boca. Um, he used to be called Boca Rider, but uh, then there was a, like a lawsuit with his name, so now he just chopped the second half of the name off and just kept <laughs> okay. Boca. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's nice. kind of like the wild child of Lambic. He, did, he he's like he's my age, you know, in his mid thirties, and like he he doesn't come from a family, and he just like started blending. Comes from like a beer geek background,
0: yeah. and yeah. And that's a big part of this, right? I mean, it's family tradition. I mean, how far does Cantillon go back? And I just, my life is complete. Last week in Pittsburgh, a brewer brought, a brewer from Memphis brought a bottle of Cantillon to uh, the event that we were at. Um, I took a picture with it. It was awesome. I had some of it. Obviously, nice. it was delicious. And uh, the cork was left. So I brought it home with me to put it on my shelf on the bar.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've been around since... Uh... 1900 they say so uh yeah it's uh it's a long
0: time it's funny at this that our conversation right now is very timely it's like i never had Canteon. i didn't know if i ever would i hoped i would i didn't know it was gonna happen and boom all of a sudden it happened and three days later i'm talking to you there you go the universe man synergies (laughs) (laughs) that's it so yeah so so what did you find what were some of the things that you noticed from you know again this going back to tradition You know the folks that you spoke with were they you know fifth generation their grandparents grandparents like tell me about some of that
1: yeah at kantian i think uh if i remember correctly in the movie jean says it um he's the fourth generation and he's currently training his son so he's going to be the fifth generation um and then the others, like obviously like Raph from Boca, right or Boca, um, he's like obviously like a new kid on the block. Um, he has no background in making beer. And then with Dri and um, there's definitely like it's an interesting story because like he Armand, the guy who was blending for Dri the entire time, and because um, they started at a restaurant and then they went uh, elsewhere uh he didn't have any uh kids so he passed the brewery on to um these two you know apprentices from his that worked okay. at the brewery with him uh Michael and Werner so uh yeah they that's that's it's also an interesting aspect because it's like if you don't have kids how do you pass on the family business right and you know so here it's like people from the outside that um you know are now continuing the project
0: Is there a collaboration? Do they like each other? Is there any competition? You know, um, you have these Cantillon, say 120 years old, and then you have the new kid on the block. Are they welcoming this person? Or, you know, do they think, what do they think about somebody new coming in to do a 120-year-old, you know, tradition?
1: Yeah, I think nowadays it's more accepted. Um, Definitely some... You know, when the whole resurgence started um, and all of a sudden, like new blenderies or breweries emerged, I think there was definitely always like skepticism from Mm. the ones that were there before. And like, oh, now, of course, now these guys are trying to tap into it, too, because it's getting popular again. Right. But when they then, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, 20 years ago, no one would have thought it was cool. Um, so it's easy. They, they see it as like, Oh yeah, it's easy for you to do that. Now. Mm. Um, you were not there when we were struggling. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now that for example, someone like Raf from Bokeh, he's established himself now, um, as like a really great blender. And I think there's acceptance now for him. And, um, and, and I think like there's more and more acceptance of like the newer people that are coming in. So, but yeah, there's definitely like a, like a, they talk to each other but they're not like gonna go out and have beers together okay like yeah they they like i i think now it's better but again like i was saying like in the beginning of the resurgence there was a lot more competition now i think everybody has their place and they're confident with like what direction they're going for and they're like well that's fine if someone else wants to do it i have my path and i'm gonna stay on that and uh yeah it's um it was nice at the Belgian premiere last week where we had a lot of them together in the same room for the first time. <laughs> yeah. nice. That was uh that was, that was nice. Um yeah, and everybody knows each other and they talk, but it's not like they're gonna call each other every
0: week. Right. They don't share no secrets.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: it's friendly what was competition. The, absolutely. But uh, you know, when you're down there in these cellars or wherever you might be, I mean, talk to me about the locations of these breweries or blenderies are you underground are you in some secret tunnel like what were some of the most memorable views or locations that you were in yeah so
1: um not so much on the ground but um there's definitely like when you visit cantillon in brussels it's, it's definitely like a an old environment and it's kind of like dim in there and um it's uh yeah it's it's it smells old too it's it's I very like nice a little damp i don't know yeah maybe not candle it but yeah it's uh it's uh close to like uh cellar environment yeah so to yeah. say yeah, okay. yeah um but uh then you go to like someone like three fontaine and who now has like a really modern facility and it's like a big warehouse that's sectioned off with tap room and barrel room okay um a so that's more like, modern. exactly it's like it's like the contrast uh, couldn't be more different, okay. um, but they, for example, they started under uh, underground um, under the restaurant, because there's a restaurant uh, nearby called uh that was family owned. And the brother of the blender, Armand, uh, he's, he's running that right now. Um, and so they started underneath the restaurant. In the cellar, blending and um, bottling and stuff. So that that's like very like old school and and like like dark. And so yeah. we went and visited that place, uh, which now is you know basically just storage for the restaurant. It's not you know there's no beers being produced there anymore. Okay. But but I think like that was probably the most memorable um, environment to be in because uh, at the time when we were filming 2019. still had some old barrels there and they Mm. since have cleared it all out so we were the last ones to film in there and um it's in the movie too it's it's uh it's quite a historical place and uh, now obviously like it's not gonna look like that anymore because they moved all the barrels out yeah but i that that was cool and in the movie there's a shot where we like go into it and it's like complete darkness and then Armand, he turns on the light and the, it, like he like walks into it. He like knows his way around it so well that he can just completely walk in pitch black darkness. <laughs> and then he turns on the light, which is all the way on the other side of the cellar. Doesn't trip and, over uh, everything. Doesn't, doesn't bump trip, in it. And there's a ton of stuff like on the ground that he could trip on. And uh, but he does <laughs> because awesome. he spent like decades down there yeah. making the beer. As, 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 yeah so that's a cool moment in the film and uh, yeah that's that that was a memorable
0: experience. i still walk into like the edge of my bed in the dark at night and end up with a black and blue <laughs> I know. Of my life, you know
1: <laughs> exactly
0: like I, I need to practice
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
0: okay very cool did you visit anywhere else while you were there any landmarks anything else that you wanted to see you were like right, you might as well do it while we're here
1: In Belgium, yeah, I mean, not not really. I think like we were always so busy filming. Um, On our days off, we had like usually one day off uh, during the week, Um, and we went around Brussels. We, I mean, the countryside of Belgium is really nice. Uh, We did visit like a few, like a castle that's very famous, Um, and it's it's Europe. I mean, it's like there's so much history, so much. Beautiful yeah. stuff in the in the countryside. It's um yeah, everything is a landmark, I think. That's <laughs> true. Very green? Like what yeah, 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 very green, especially in the summer. And in and in the winter it's all white because of snow. Yeah. Uh it's it's yeah, it's very nice. So how
0: long from like beginning of you know, filming to end of production, you know, and, and released and ready for public? How how many years is that? Five?
1: Yeah, probably because I, I always count like the research year, which is twenty eighteen. Okay. Um, so yeah, probably around five years. We filmed we started filming in twenty nineteen in January. Uh so that was
0: four Did COVID slow you down there?
1: Um, it did. We were supposed to go back to Belgium like mid March twenty twenty, and we had a ticket and we all know what happened mid March oh, yeah. twenty twenty. Uh yeah, everything shut down, like yeah. try you know, tickets, uh, you know, got, got a refund and all that. Yeah. Um, but you know what it allowed us was like really focus on like the editing and the footage we already had, yeah, and dial in the movie because yeah. it it that's that period where I think really the movie took shape. Yeah. Because we had time and we were just sitting there and we were not getting rushed of like, oh, we've got to get over there to film something yeah. that's happening. You know, no one was doing anything. So we were just sitting there with the footage. And then we we afterwards we started filming again in September of 2020 and uh went back to Belgium one more time the following year. So
0: now do you do you have basically the film memorized? I mean you've seen it probably a million times while editing, reviewing. I mean, you know exactly every second of it. Yeah, yeah. it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it like is it is it still enjoyable for you to see?
1: You know, I um I hadn't seen it in a while. Um, I was so last weekend in Belgium, we had the premiere, the European premiere, and uh, we most all of our crew flew over or most of them. Um, And we had two screenings and I did sit with my crew to uh, through both screenings because that 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 was an environment because we were in the motherland. And, and, you know, a lot of people in the movie attended the screening, so I wanted to hear like their reactions. During the film, like you know, any laughs, any like blah blah, you know, reactions during yeah. the screening. But for these upcoming screenings at other festivals or like other places in the next months, I don't think I'm gonna watch it again. That's I've seen it now back to back, so many times. Yeah, I'm,
0: are you I'm proud honest. of
1: it? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Yeah. I, I, I am proud of it, um, and. Th- How I know that I am happy with the product is when, as a filmmaker, when you sit in an audience together and you watch your own movie and you don't have that moment where you're like, you're like cringing and you're like, oh no, I wish I didn't do that. Or like, oh yeah, I should have done this.
0: I should have done that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. And so I I felt very confident um, being in the same room with the people that are featured in the film and watching it with them together.
0: And I assume yeah. when you're watching it and you're looking around and people are smiling and you're like, you know, we built something here that people are enjoying. Like, that's going to be a great feeling. <laughs> I know, I know. And so like I,
1: our screenings in Belgium were 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 amazing. We had such such a great reception and and even the people that I thought were going to have critiques about the film, mm. really like were like, you know, this 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 is a good movie. I, I they were like, you know, I understand why you did it that way and not just a technical film about lambic because, yes. again, it's it's it's, it's like winemaking. Someone was telling me um, at the screening was like it's like winemaking. If you make a if you make a movie about wine, it, it's it's great to show the vineyards and all that. But really, what winemaking is is like the family members bickering and like fighting about like you know what's the future of the company. It's like that's what winemaking is. Hmm. I feel like that's how it is in a brewery too, and so. That's what we focused on in the film, and I think in that sense, we don't answer all the questions of Lambic in the movie, but I think we made a movie about Lambic by not talking too much about it. Does that make sense?
0: I love it. Yeah, I mean, you you incorporated the human element of it, and the tradition, and the passion behind it, and... You know, again, the surprise of these guys going, shit, I thought I would have to give this away. And now people are paying triple for it. Like, you know, their minds are blown and they're super happy because of, you know, they stuck with it. And here we are and patience. And again, following their dream, just like you followed yours to become a filmmaker. Like, that's that's very neat. That's very exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um. So this this film's getting, you know, attention. You said you, you had a number of screenings now you're going to have additional screenings i think coming up you got um was it florida and and some others so what else is what's next
1: yeah uh we haven't announced many yet because we're still in the final stages of uh uh, locking them down but there are going to be a bunch um in the coming months especially like do you travel to all these
0: like florida oregon brussels Uh, so these yeah the the
1: the two that are currently listed on the website florida film fest and oregon yes i am going to because florida film fest has a special place in in my heart as a filmmaker because that's where we kind of like started the whole journey with chow beyond the lines um where we where we found our distributor last time and helped us qualify it for the oscars and so it's like that that and plus it's an awesome place um like the that festival is is amazing. The venue with the bar and everything that's incorporated okay. in the movie theater—it's cool. Okay. Um, and then Oregon as well. Uh, we're doing two two screenings in one day, like back to back. So I'm gonna do like a Q and A after each.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: but yeah, I, I travel to the ones where we can afford to because obviously, like, it, it's costly, like to just yes. fly everywhere and stuff. So it has to make yes, sense. And it's probably going to be become a lot more selective now, uh, with the ones like we screened in Madrid three days ago, obviously, like, I'm not going to go there. Um, we have some stuff lined up in Finland and Sweden at the end of the month. I'm not going to go there. It's yeah. So how does
0: that work? Is there a team there or they put it on or how, how does that one of the, no,
1: they basically like, uh, they license the film for like, uh, a screening and, um, we basically give them either like a physical like blu-ray disc or like a a private like a secure streaming link okay um yeah and then they just put it on themselves like you know whether it is in a theater or in a tap room and but we we like talk with them ahead of time and like you know decide on like what's the best way to do it uh so it's like a very collaborative
0: uh thing okay And how can we find this and when can we find this? Is it available or what's tell me more?
1: Yeah. So basically, at the right now, um, spring 2023, we're going to focus on uh, public screenings uh, probably for the next, you know, however many months. Um, And then afterwards, we're going to put it on a streaming platform. Um, But there's such a demand right now for to do public screens because a lot of them. We get a lot of requests and a lot of them are bundled with like people wanting to do tastings you know afterwards or like you know um do something with the beer as well and so like i I think like now after covid also like people want to go to places and they want to hang out and have that in-person experience so we're really like you know focusing on that right now and there's a lot of enthusiasm around that and plus seeing it on the big screen is different than. At home um it's Bet.
0: just it just is it's uh <laughs> that's exciting yeah um and you mentioned you're gonna be up in bethlehem so Southside film festival and that's gonna be in the summer right so i'm gonna have to uh since it is my hometown yeah okay. in june we don't uh we don't have any screening times
1: yet um okay. but uh yeah that's i think that festival takes place in june i'm not okay. sure if i'll be there myself but okay. um Yeah, we're definitely. I I know there's a big community there too with Monks Cafe. Oh, yeah. And all that. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Love it. Okay. What, uh, you're working on a new film. What, can you tell us anything about what you got going on already?
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, we're actually like, uh, we're doing some additional uh, filming for that one uh, next week. So we're like in crazy crunch time to get that all okay. put together. But uh, we shot a movie um, in December last year uh, that okay. I produced. And uh, Courtney, my producing partner, she directed. It's a narrative film, so it's not a doc. Uh all in one again, month you filmed it and that was it? Well, we f- well, actually, we filmed it in two weeks, a feature film. It's like crazy. like. <laughs>
0: that's amazing how the hell was that stressful or you just well, got good
1: at it or like how that uh, happened? it's insane it's insane but like we pull it off it was a it was a low budget film but it's okay. not gonna look low budget uh yeah. that's, let's put it that way um but it's like you know it's like filmmaking is just like you you have like a set amount of money and like you have to reverse engineer like how am i gonna make that work it's sometimes you like think like this is not possible And then like you get people involved that are excited about the project and they're like, and then they bring their people on. And yeah, it's it's like a domino effect. And yeah, but uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, Courtney's first uh, narrative feature film. It's also about family dynamics, which is a
0: theme, I guess, that uh, we love. So uh, yeah. I love it. So to that point, I guess kind of leads me to my next question would be, you know, what advice do you give to somebody who's, you know to a teenager who wants to become a film producer you know to anybody who has you know a limited budget and needs to produce something large what advice do you have for them
1: yeah that's a that's a tough question because it's um filmmaking is really about patience i mean it's like so and and um just sticking with it like not giving up. And I, it sounds so basic and cheesy. I feel like everybody says that always, but like, this is really what it is. Like it, it took, you know, I mean, like for Bala Condition it took four years to make, A previous documentary took eight years to make. It's like, you you gotta find like some sort of like job security maybe that you have. And then like you start building your career on the side as a filmmaker. And then once you can, like, leave that old job and focus solely on on filmmaking, I think um, that's the way to do it. But like, yeah, it's just time. Get ready to put a lot of time and not get any money back for it or sometimes no recognition because, yeah, sometimes films don't get really like any recognition until later down the line when the filmmaker has like some sort of recognition for another film. OK, it's, it's it's like, you know, with musicians, like sometimes like the music gets forgotten and then there's a movie puts a song in and then that song becomes popular again.
0: Yeah. So you see that that's with, like, Stranger Things or whatever. <laughs> some of these songs right now are popular again that are 20 years old. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like we,
1: we've we done a bunch of short films that, you know, obviously Chow Beyond the Lines was was mm-hmm. a major success with the Oscars. But like we've done, done a bunch of short films that we put a lot of money and effort into that have not gotten that recognition. But I do think that in the long run, people will discover them because through our other films that are more popular maybe. So it's playing the long game and you gotta be ready for it and you gotta really want it. And you, you also gotta stick to your, what you wanna see and what you wanna make. Don't follow trends because that's what studios are doing and, and the audiences are getting tired of it.
0: Like I, I, I feel see like through it, it's like a gimmick, right?
1: It's a copy paste thing. I mean, they're they're rebooting every possible series that had some sort of success in the '90s or early 2000s. I mean, I just heard that they're rebooting the X Files now, um, and it's like <laughs> it's it's like why not? There's a lot of original ideas out there, but the media and the studios that control the narrative in in our world. They just want to bank on like, you know, previous successes, and because they're more
0: comfortable with it. Going, hey, we know it was successful; we can make it. They're gonna have these people are gonna watch it again, versus taking a chance on something that is new and scary.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what it is. It's become less. They 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 take less risks because I think like nowadays uh, everything costs more money, so they get scared Mm -hmm. uh, in spending that money, Mm -hmm. but. What I think they forget is that like, we've only gotten to like such like acclaim with movies because of original ideas, not because we copycatted everything that was done before it. Like, right. Like who, who's like, how many times do you like sit there and was like, oh yeah, I really like the remake, remake number three of this better than the original. <laughs> no. It's, uh, right. That's not why anybody wants to go into film and study it or make yeah,
0: it. It's safe, um, but it's not not good and not better.
1: And I and I can't wait for that bubble to burst because it's um, it's not about like trying to like anticipate what audiences what might like because they yeah. don't know they an audience does not know what yeah. they like or want until it's put in front of them yeah so how can you re- rely on like you know
0: predicting the future I think that's so backwards I understand that absolutely yeah yeah all right that's so my we, rant. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, what advice you give. Um, were there any specific film producers or actors or anybody anywhere that inspired you to do what you do?
1: Um. Yeah, that's uh, I never really think of that. Like,
0: um, I don't. I, you woke up one day and said, hey, I want to make movies.
1: I, for some reason, I always wanted, I mean, as, as a teenager, or as even before that, as a kid, like I was always, um, Oh, did I just get signed out? No, you're Can here. You still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Cause it said I've been signed out. Um, you're here. Um, I, I always wanted to make films and I did that already as a, as a teenager with my friends in high school and stuff with my dad's video camera. And so it's that, that story of like, it's just always natural to me. You
0: started doing it. You enjoyed it. You loved it. You wanted more of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's uh, if you have that passion, I definitely think like pursue your passions and um, stick with it. Uh, But yeah, I don't have like a single filmmaker who's like, I like certain movies. I mean, I have like my top five films, but
0: yeah. Can you give us your top five films? I was going to ask you what, you know, like what movie, what movie is it that you can watch over and over and never gets old? Uh,
1: I think my number 1 film is Blade Runner
0: the original nice. not not the yeah not the new
1: one. Okay. Um I I just think like that Were you mad like, when they remade that? At first yeah and I didn't like it. I I like the music in the second one because I'm a big fan of the music of the original Vangelis. Okay. Uh it's but it's like it doesn't have that heart that the first one has. It, it, so Do you
0: I, think I it's so I like a lot of sci-fi you're a different age or just you know because it's kind of hard it's like you were a person then you enjoyed it in that moment but I guess you still resurrected but now you know watching it the new version at a a different age at a different period of life is good you're going to think differently about it also
1: yeah I just also felt like I wasn't sure if that's that story the new one like went in so many directions like okay. it, it, it was very bloated um and that's that's the problem with a lot of movies nowadays with okay. studio films like the the original was so focused yeah but also like didn't answer all the questions because okay. you know there you know there were things that were just mysterious and like yeah that's good you, you you can't answer all the questions otherwise it's boring
0: true yeah you want to leave people lingering and maybe coming up with their own ideas about what happened or what could have happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Like that's, that's our quest as humans. Like we never, like, we, we, I don't think we'll ever really know where we came from or how it happened or what we're doing in this universe. I mean, it's, uh, we're so small. So such a small speck in the universe, our problems are really not that big of
0: a deal. Like if you think (laughs) about it, (laughs) you know, we're not nearly as important as we think we are, you know? Oh, no, I, I saw a photo the other day of
1: like uh, on Instagram somewhere, like the spec that we are in the universe. Yeah. And when you zoom out, zoom out. I
0: mean. There's some really neat YouTube videos of just going through the different, you know, universes. And again, yeah, how tiny we are and, and how large some things are that are out there that we'll, you know, can't even get to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think like that's uh that's what I love about movies that don't answer all those questions because it keeps you like um you know guessing and uh
0: nice yeah that's that's good. Love it. Awesome, man. Well thank you. Where can we find more? So I know um was it bottleconditionedfilm.com? dot com?
1: Yeah, and on Instagram uh at bottle film or on Facebook at bottle conditioned film. Basically like on all those three the website and those two youth um, uh, social handles okay. we're going to publish and constantly announce like the next screenings. And uh, yeah, people have been really engaged with us and uh, it's been, it's been an awesome ride. So very, great. very, very happy about the response of the film so far.
0: Well, congrats on all your success and thanks Thank for being you. a great guest here and leaning in sharing your story. And you you know, this is, this is all about daring mighty things and, you know, following your dreams and that's what you're doing. And, Dude, kudos to you, man. Keep fighting. Keep going. Thanks.
1: Thanks. No, I appreciate all the questions. I think you
0: asked some really nice questions. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> what are you gonna do the rest of the day? Go surfing?
1: No, I actually don't surf.
0: Uh, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I have a I have a ton of things to do with uh, like I said that shoot that we have next week. So it's like still a lot of prep to
0: do with that. Awesome. Well, yeah. stay focused. Don't let the distractions happen. All right. Thanks. Hey, stay on your grind and uh you know if there's anything we can ever do for you just give a holler man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity of talking about you, about this with you and
1: uh yeah, hope you get to see the film soon too. So uh would Steady. love to know what you think.
0: I would love to see it. Thank you, Jerry. Cheers. All right. Awesome. Bye. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. That'll help us get found by other fantastic people like yourself. I don't monetize this, so all I ask is that if you like it, share it with someone else who might like it. Connect with me on Instagram at Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Catch you all next time. Cheers and Beer Mighty Things.